0: Well, today we are pivoting. We're pivoting from having looked at the life of Solomon. So it provides a great backdrop because we're pivoting to the book of Proverbs that Solomon wrote, right? Um, and it's, it's the way of wisdom that we're going to look at in Proverbs. Uh, one of the commentators, Bruce Watke, I read says, what is the difference between being smart and being wise? So wisdom goes beyond knowledge. It's more than a catalog of facts. It's a masterful understanding of life, a practical art of living, and an expertise in good decision-making. So Proverbs challenges us to gain knowledge, to apply that knowledge to our lives, and then to share that wisdom that we gain with others. So, obviously, the title of the book is Proverbs, and the Hebrew title is the Proverbs of Solomon, As we learned about Solomon, he was the third king of Israel, having followed Saul and David. He was the wealthiest, wisest man that lived. And in this book of Proverbs, it pulls together 513 of the over 3,000 Proverbs that Solomon wrote. If you remember, it says in 1 Kings 430, it says, Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of, of everyone It says, he also spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs were 1,005, that men and people came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all over the earth. So this is a selected 513 of over 3,000 Proverbs that he wrote. Solomon wrote chapters 1 through 22, and then compiled chapters 22 through, uh, from 17 to Uh, verse 34 of chapter 22 as sayings of the wise. We'll look at those later. Um, Hezekiah, a king that lived 300 years after Solomon, compiled chapters 25 through 29, which again Solomon was the author of. But then the last two books were written by uh, different men that we know very little about. Um, Augur wrote chapter 30 and Lemanuel wrote chapter 31. So, Again, we, as we learned in Solomon's life, he completed the writing of, of Proverbs before he became old. He, he wrote Proverbs when he was wholly devoted to the Lord, and his life produced such great fruit as this book. But of course, we know that at the end of Solomon's life, he turned away from the Lord and disobeyed the very truths that he penned with just terrible consequences, the word proverb means to be like, it's a book of comparisons between common real world images and some of life's most profound truths. You know, as we go through proverbs, uh, you'll know that a, a vast majority of them have to do with our speech and the way that we talk, and um, it's an indicator of our heart in most times, right? Right? And then uh, the next largest group is about work, and the work uh, is what we're going to study today. You know, Proverbs are very simple statements of an obvious truth, but it's what God has given us in the book of Proverbs um, is the truth that that he's breathed out for the purpose to teach us foundational and fundamental realities about living life with wisdom and discernment. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Don't think that the book of Proverbs is just pithy saints. This is, these are from the Lord. This is uh, God breathed his word with this purpose. Uh, If you're not in Proverbs, look at Proverbs 1, 1 through 5. We'll cover that chapter later, but I just wanted to give you the purpose that's given in these first five verses. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. And verse 5 says, a wise man will hear an increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So you can see that it's a, it's a book that can um, help us think clearly and, and biblically about this world that we live in practically. It's a very practical book. So the way we're going to study it, is I'm not going to go through all 31 chapters today. That's kind of in your lesson. But what we're doing is, um, the first section of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, are contrasts with good and evil. Good is described with words like wisdom, instruction, justice, understanding, equity, knowledge, and discretion. But in these first nine chapters, the most significant word is wisdom. That's used 23 times and then only 20 times for the other remaining chapters. It's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. It's the very essence of God's wisdom. To be wise is to live a life that honors God. So the first nine chapters, we will teach individually because they are arranged in, in, that, in that way by subject. But when we go to the remaining um, uh, books, we're going to teach them by subject. So in a sense, we are covering 31 chapters. But we're only covering them as related today to to the subject of work. So we're going to look at that today, just the subject of work. And then the last two chapters, we will cover them individually as well, the words of Augur and then the, uh, the set of verses that we know as the excellent wife, which as we go through the study of work today, I would say the excellent wife could also be known as the wise working woman. We'll look at many of the instructions that you have to do with work that she exemplified in her life so well as an example of appropriate application of of a proverb. So as we go through this study, we want to know that true wisdom from a Christian involves the whole revelation of God, especially that that's known in his son, Jesus Christ, So it starts with insight into who the Lord is, what he's done, what he desires for us in the world that we live in. And then as we grow in our understanding of the Lord, we learn how to cooperate as he sustains and redeems the world, which makes us more fruitful. It causes us to revere the Lord in the midst of our daily life and work. You know, it's interesting because it says when the Lord saved us, we became what, a new A new creation, right? And that old things pass away and new things come. Well, one of the new things that come in the life of a believer is their relationship with work. We spend a great deal of our time at work, right? And when the Lord saves us, our relationship with our work changes. And it changes because we understand right away that we have a new master. It's not the boss at work. And we'll we'll look at that in a minute, but I wanted to just briefly go through a theology of work that comes to the believer when he when he has a, when he's a new creation, and um, because there can be a misunderstanding of work prior to that, but when we when we come to know Christ, we know that God works. It says in Genesis two two that. By the seventh day, God had completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. See, God gives believers a pattern for our work. And it's to include rest. But look, work is not a demeaning activity. It's not something that um, is looked down upon. God works. And then, in addition... Jesus works to accomplish the will of the Father. In John 5, 17, it said, But he answered and he says, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. Matthew 6, 3 Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Jesus worked. So, as Christians, we'll work. As God's image bearers, says in Genesis 1.27 that God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the seas and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves. And Genesis 2.15 says, then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To cultivate it and to keep it to work. Work is an evidence of being made the image of God. It's not as a result of sin. You know that's. I think a lot of times that's a mistake. Well, the reason we work is because of sin. No. What happened is a result of sin. Work is hard. It's harder because of the fall and the entrance of sin in the world. But work is not a punishment. God, it says, assigned signed work for his people Israel. In Leviticus 23, 22, he says, when you reap the harvest of the land, uh, that's what their work would be. The land that he gave them, they would reap harvest from. And God provides work for Christians. It uh, says in Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord. So then Christians must work in order to be able to give. Acts 20, 35 says, in everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the work, help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then work provides opportunities for evangelism. You know, our testimony. And the way that we accomplish our work is evident to all the people that are in our workplace, and all the people that we connect with during our day as we go about our work. 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2 says, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. We are ambassadors for Christ. And as such, people connect our behavior with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's our way of evangelism. We may have opportunities to share the gospel with those that we work with. But we'll also definitely have our example. So, our lesson today is on the teaching of work in Proverbs. The Lord's Wisdom from Selected Proverbs, our theme is God has given work to Christians and then the clear instructions on how to accomplish that work in order to glorify Him. Our verse is from Proverbs 16.3, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. So Proverbs instructs Christians on how to be wise workers and today we're going to consider seven ways Seven ways that we are to work with wisdom from the Lord in order to glorify him. Now, As I was going through this, I thought, there's a lot more than seven. But we only have so much time, right? So we're just going to look at seven. But you may be going through Proverbs and go, you know, Brian missed one. Good. Write it down and do it at work. Okay? So there's probably more than Seven. But the first one is the wise worker is to work as for the Lord. And that comes, you know, immediately from our theme verse where it says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. That word commit, that word means roll. It's the same word that's used in Psalms 37.5 when it says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him. And he will do it. So there's a sense that as we commit our works to the Lord, that we are trusting in the Lord to help us accomplish what we're doing. We're seeking the Lord for strength, for guidance in all of our endeavors. We're satisfied with his management of our concerns. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. This is a parallel verse over in Colossians. Colossians gives us that same um, understanding of how we, when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, our work um, authority changed. It changed. Because listen to what it says in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. That changes the way that you work. You're not working just to please the person that's over you or supervising you or even those around you. You're working with an understanding and a desire to please the Lord. And you're looking forward to an, inher- an, an eternal inheritance. It's no longer a temporary Activity that you're a part of. It's an eternal inheritance. And as a result, Christians are to exert greater effort in their work because they are serving God. They're working wisely. It's working in a way to please the Lord. Thinking about all of our efforts aimed at bringing Him glory. Well, in addition, the wise worker is to work Diligently, diligence, that word means conscientious hard work and perseverance, particularly with regard to a relationship with God. Now, I had to give you one picture today, and it's the picture of an ant, okay? Go turn, turn with me now to Proverbs 6.6. 6. There's a reason. There's a picture of an ant. Proverbs 6.6 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. So the first example that Solomon pulls on is an illustration from nature, from the ant, to give an example of the wise worker. Now I'm going to give you some quick ant facts, things you may not know about ants. There's over 12,000 different species of ants around the world. And they're everywhere. They're in every continent except one. Where do you think there are no ants? Antarctica, you're right. They're not there, but they're everywhere else. And they're, you know, in these different species, they, they, uh, they live different ways. You know, in our country or in, probably in our backyard, we have the common carpenter ant, right, which bores through wood, and they can be as, as devastating as termites. In South America, there's a bullet ant that gets its name from its sting, which is so painful it feels like you're getting shot. In South India, there's honeypot ants that store honey. They gorge themselves in so much honey, you can see it inside of them. And there's there's an array of other types. But the other thing is, ants have some ants have very long lifespans. You know, for an insect... Usually their lives, we're talking about days and weeks. And some ant species are that way. But there are some ant species that live to be 40 years old. You know, that's long. Ants is, is, is anyone that's, when I was a kid, I was very interested in ants. I would get down very close to them and watch them. And what was amazing about ants is they're one of the strongest creatures. You know, you would see an ant lift up something that was bigger than it was, Right? That's because ants can carry an object that's 50 times its own body weight. To, to put that into comparison, a man my size, it would be like lifting a 13,000 pound African bush elephant. I mean, that's, these ants are strong. And then when they work in groups, they can lift even more. And Solomon uses this ant and, and calls us to look at that example for this reason in verse 7 that. Uh, They show initiative. They're not reliant on someone else to direct their work. Neither should we. These ants show foresight by preparing in the summer that which would be harvested later. And they show a willingness for hard work. They gather from the harvest. And then the second example, the contrast that's in these verses, is with the sluggard. The sluggard is a term to describe a lazy person. If if you don't know, sluggard is somebody that moves slow. And in verse 9, it says, a sluggard is someone who sleeps when they should be working. You may know someone like that. Or there may have been a certain season in your life where you were like that. It's a Verse 10, it says, their only concern is their present ease. Instead of having the successful an ant, they experience self-inflicted poverty. And then it says in verse 11 that poverty comes to them step by step as a vagabond, as like one who travels, and then like an armed man with irresistible violence. There are other verses in Proverbs that that give a contrast between the lazy person and and the diligent person. It looks like this: the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. That's from Proverbs 13:4. 4. Proverbs 14:23 says, "In all labor there is profit. But mere talk only leads to poverty. Yeah, I mean, we've all known people like that. They always talk about what they're going to do, but they never get around to doing it. And as a result, they have nothing. There's no profit, but in all labor there is. And then we have an example from Scripture of diligent workers. And again, we're going to look several times at this excellent wife because Proverbs thirty-one thirteen says, She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. That's a picture of diligence. She rises up while it's still night and gives food to her household. And portions to her maidens. Um, She works long hours. Verse 27 of chapter 31 She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She stays busy. Ruth was a great example of one who worked hard and hard labor in the fields. She gleams in the fields from morning till evening. And as a result, you saw the virtue in that woman. Hezekiah, it says, as king. He did throughout Judah all that he did was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God, um, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Hezekiah is a picture of a man seeking God and working with enthusiasm, with all his heart. And then in Nehemiah, we saw the people that went back to build Jerusalem. That They worked on the wall, and it says that they joined together to build the wall to half its height. It says, for the people had a mind to work. That's an example of people working with determination, working diligently. And then Paul gives an example when he says, uh, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day. So as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim the gospel of God to you. This this is a good example of how what we need to think about. We're talking about working diligently. that's, That's working with determination, working hard labor, being willing to work long hours, being to work in a way that brings glory to God. The next is the wise worker is to have a plan Again, our, our uh, theme verse for today is commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. And you know that your plans cannot be established unless you have one, right? So planning is not a bad thing. It just needs to have a priority to it. And the priority to it is it comes under what the Lord would have us do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So when we're planning, we're not trusting in our own mind. We're planning, leaning not on our own understanding, but acknowledging the Lord and seeking his wisdom. Proverbs 21.5 says this, the plans of the diligent lead surely to an advantage. But everyone who is hasty surely comes to poverty so here's a picture in a contrast it says planes plans made by the wise workers lays out a thoughtful strategy for success that's contrasted with a hasty a very hasty plan or a get rich quick scheme that blows up and leads to poverty Proverbs 19:21 says, many plans are in man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Our plans are to be submitted to the Lord. James 4:5 or excuse me James 4:15 says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or do that. In other words, we make our plans, but we understand that the Lord's sovereign and we hold on to them loosely, right? We plan according to the Lord, but we know that the Lord can change our plans. Again, we see that example of what a wise worker the Proverbs 31 woman was when she planned. In 31.16 it says, she considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So, This woman considered a field before buying it. She investigated its long-term potential. She then planned to plant this particular field as a vineyard. Vineyards don't yield their first crop for two to three years after the planting. And the point is, she makes decisions based on their long-term consequences. Wise planting requires decisions made with thoughtful future benefits, we see that also in the cycle of agricultural asset management. Proverbs twenty seven twenty three says, Know well the condition of your flocks, and pay attention to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass disappears, the new growth is seen. And the herbs of the mountains are gathered in. The lambs will be for your clothing, and the goats will bring the price of a field. There will be goat's milk enough for your food, for the food of your household, and the sustenance for your maidens. So you see in all of that that there's wise planning involved to take advantage of the produce of benefits of the flock. You know, Jesus said in Luke 14, 28, he says, For which one of you, when you want to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man he began to build and he was not able to finish. No, the wise worker has a plan. The wise worker has a plan to have success in the efforts that their their endeavors are associated with. His plan is committed to the Lord, and he's going to work at this plan diligently. Right? Next, the wise worker is to work honestly. So honest. Honest is a behavior and action and words that aims to convey truth. It's the quality is an essential aspect of God's own nature and purpose and is required of those whom He calls to be His people. What does honesty, both in word and deed, look like in today's workplace, where you work? How do you see honesty lived out? Can people trust what you say and do? Not that what you say and do is technically true. That's That's not what we're talking about here. There are ways to break trust without committing outright fraud. But they're not ways that we want to be involved with. Um, you know, in, in my vocation, I was in commercial real estate. Now, commercial real estate is governed by real estate law. And in real estate law, nothing is legal unless it's in writing. You know why that is? Why would nothing be legal unless it's in writing? Because there's... No desire to be able to trust the word of the people that work in commercial real estate. I mean, it's just an acknowledgment of the, uh, the type of, of um, bad faith dealings, lying, the things that go on in a crooked world. I once had a friend that said, you know, you can't be a Christian and work in real estate. And I said, no, that's not true. That's not true. You know what? It's more helpful to be a Christian when you're in real estate because you never have to think about and make a decision over what's the right thing to do. You just do the right thing. You tell the truth. Yeah, there's other people. It's very competitive in that, in that, in that world. And as a result, people um, try to get an advantage by not being honest, not being truthful. And as long as they don't put it in writing— There's no way to enforce it. Now, if they do put it in writing and then commit fraud, there's huge penalties. It's called trouble damages. But it's only if they do things fraudulently in writing. Not that there aren't a lot of good people in commercial real estate. There are. It's just that the whole law has to be aimed at those that would not deal in good faith. But that's different from what Proverbs would direct us to do as believers. Proverbs 12, says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. So our joy comes from being the Lord's delight, right? By doing the things that bring the Lord delight. We can bring the Lord delight. Isn't that amazing? And we do that by being honest and dealing in good faith with others. Proverbs fourteen twenty five, a truthful witness saves lives, but he who utters lies is treacherous. Proverbs 8, 6, and 7, he says, listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things, for my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Our words are to be true. And our reputation is to reflect faithful dealing with others. In fact, you can be a real contrast in, a, in an environment where there's others that aren't acting in good faith, and you do. You'll stand out. You'll be different. Proverbs thirteen eleven says, Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it, you know, our production should be the result of honest labor, not fraudulent gain. You know, there was um, a lot of buying and selling by merchants done in the time of the Old Testament with scales and balances. Proverbs sixteen eleven says, "A just balance and scales belong to the Lord; all the weights of the bag are His concern." Proverbs 11.1 1 says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. I mean, there was fraud being committed during that time by dishonest scales, by not giving people what they paid for, by cheating them. Not to be in the life of a wise worker. Proverbs 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright will guide them, Proverbs 22:16 says, "He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty." The wise worker works honestly, gaining a reputation by speaking the truth and teaching others with integrity. 5, number 5 of the 7 ways to work to glorify the God, to glorify God is the wise worker is to be generous. It's to be generous. Proverbs 11, There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Generosity. The second line of that proverb is it makes a comparison between providing water for the thirsty as to generously providing for those in need and it says that kind act of providing for those in need will be reciprocated proverbs 28:27 he who gives to the poor will never want but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses proverbs 19:17 one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the lord and he will repay him for his good deed. Proverbs 22, 9. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Galatians 6, 10 says, so that while we have opportunity, let us, good, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of faith. Look, the wise worker commits his work to the Lord And reaps production from his well-planned, diligent, honest labor. And then he's generous to take from what he's gained to share with others. Again, we, we go back to Ruth and we see the example of Boaz. Boaz was a man who had much, but he was very generous. He was generous to those in need to allow the reapers to come behind his workers in the field. Ruth was one of those And he was very generous to Ruth, providing for her. Just an example of a man that looked out for those beyond his own household, but yet those who were in need. The way that the Proverbs 31 woman exhibited this, it says in Proverbs 31.20, it says, she extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. In other words, her work's inseparable from her generosity. Because she's successful in her vocation, she has something to give to the poor. And her generous spirit is an essential element of her capability as a worker, as a wise worker, as an entrepreneur. So the wise worker is generous, generous with the proceeds from his hard work, honestly gaining the reputation that by speaking the truth, And then by treating others with integrity. Well, he knew he couldn't get away without something about the tongue. Since most of the verses in Proverbs have to do with the tongue. Well, the wise worker is one who is to speak with deliberate kindness. One who is to guard his tongue in the workplace. What would be the opposite of that? The opposite of that would be someone who does not guard his tongue. Someone who may be uh, one who shares gossip in the workplace, is that a problem? It is a problem. It says this, Proverbs twenty nineteen, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with the gossip. Proverbs eighteen eight, The words of the whisperer are like dainty morsels and they go down to the innermost part of the body. What it's given a picture of there is look, People delight in listening to gossip. The sad observation simply affirms that the common trait of human nature, that's why it says the words of gossip are like choice morsels. When such tasty bites are taken into the innermost being, they stimulate a desire for more. Gossip casts other people into a bad light raising doubts about their integrity. Gossip projects evil onto someone else's motives and thus showing itself as a child of the father of lies. Gossip takes words out of context, misrepresents the intention of the speaker, reveals what should have been kept in confidence and attempts to elevate the the, the one bringing the gossip at the expense of others who are not present to speak for themselves. You know, gossips can be very, very destructive to a workplace, right? It creates division among workers. Proverbs sixteen twenty seven: A worthless man digs up evil while his words are like scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Divisive speech slanderous, gossipful, cause division. The wicked is described as a perverse man, a man of falsehood, a liar, and a gossip, namely one who whispers and murmurs. That kind of person destroys close friendships in what he says. But you know, there's a contrast to that. There's a contrast to the value of a person that speaks you know, uh, with deliberate kindness that understands the value of positive words in the soul of those around us. Proverbs 15.1, very familiar, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 25.11, this is, this is a good visual, right? Proverbs 25.11, like apples of gold, In settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. It brings great value. It's like apples of gold. It's it's very precious to have the right word spoken at the right time. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. And we have the ability to bring to anxious people, a good word. Proverbs uh, 31, 26. Going back to the excellent wife. Verse 31, 26. She opens her mouth in wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Guarding our speech at work gives Witness that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Because we're different. Proverbs 15:2 says, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouths of fools spouts folly. There's a contrast. There's a contrast in the way that we speak, the way that our heart comes out through our mouth. And we should guard our words, make sure that. We're edifying, encouraging all those around us, using those opportunities to uh, help those that are anxious. The wise worker is honest, generous, and then deliberate in building other people up with their words. Well, finally, our seventh way to work and to glorify God is that the wise worker is to be humble, to be humble. You know, flip over to Proverbs thirty Proverbs thirty verse seven. This is the ancient sage Augur that gives us this humble prayer. He says two things I ask of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me, but give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I might not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I I might not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. So there's a humble prayer, an individual that recognizes that too much wealth can be a problem, as can too little wealth be a problem. And he prays that the Lord keeps him from the danger of too much wealth that might cause him to deny God in his life, but but pray as, even as Jesus taught us to pray, that give us this day our daily bread, to pray for his daily provision. And I think there's an understanding there, the humility that that needs to be in, in us to be a wise worker. Proverbs 16, 19 said, It's better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs eleven two says, When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with, with the humble is wisdom. You know, if our work turns into a quest for ever-increasing wealth, in other words, it becomes about our greed that can happen, That we've left the path of wisdom. When we seek wealth because it, consciously or not, it's it's what gives us a barometer of our success, that's the wrong path. Besides, the comfort of wealth is imaginary. Proverbs 18.11 says, the wealth of the rich is their strong city. In their imagination, it's like a high wall. In other words, In reality, wealth doesn't bring an end to troubles. It only substitutes the troubles of wealth for the troubles of poverty. Anybody hear any stories about people that win the lottery? I mean, it doesn't end well, right? I mean, almost all of them are talking about how it it ruins their lives. Because they're not believers and they've been given more than they can accurately handle. Wealth can actually ruin our lives, make us think we're secure when we're not secure. There was a a guy named Howard Hughes, you guys remember Howard Hughes? One of the wealthiest men to ever live, worked in the aviation industry, died very sadly. He became paranoid, locked himself in a room and covered all the windows. because he trusted in his riches. Those who trust in their riches will wither. Proverbs 11:28 says. We should be on our guard, especially if we sacrifice the riches of life to obtain the riches of money. It says the miser is in a hurry to get rich and does not know that loss is sure to come. Proverbs 28:22. Now, Let's understand here that the Proverbs are not opposed to wealth in itself. Who was the richest man that ever lived? The one writing this book, right? Not opposed to wealth in itself. In fact, wealth can be a blessing. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds, No sorrow with it. It is the obsession for wealth that causes harm. Proverbs 22.11 says, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. The wise seek to maintain a reputation of integrity than simply increase their wealth. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Do not worry yourself to gain wealth. Cease from consideration of it. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: 28. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Again, Proverbs 22, 4 says, The reward of humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. So the wise understands the difference. The difference of being thankful to the Lord for the riches He has given us to enjoy and to manage, to be stewards of, and the sinful pursuit of wealth at all costs. I like the way 1 Timothy 6 balances these. 1 Timothy 6 9 says this But to those who want to get rich and fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. It's for the love of money that is a root of all sorts of evil. And some have longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance and gentleness. Wow, what's that list sound like? Yeah, the fruits of the Spirit. Well, then you drop down to 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, instruct those who are rich. Wait a minute. You mean that there are some folks that are going to be rich? Yeah, there are. And there's instruction for them as well. Instruct those who are rich in this present world to what? Don't be conceited to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. In other words, the, the one who has wealth in this world is to understand. Who does it come from? It came from God. It's What do you have that you did not receive? And he understands he's a steward of that. And verse 18 says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Yeah. Proverbs fifteen thirty three: The fear of the Lord is instruction for wisdom and before honor comes humility. Humility. It's one that's not being puffed up The wise worker is humble. He's content with the provision of the Lord. His work is not solely devoting to exalting himself in the pursuit of wealth, but exalting the Lord in pursuit of a good reputation in all of his endeavors. So we've seen the seven ways that we can apply Proverbs into our lives that make us wise workers in order to please the Lord and to bring him glory, bring glory to his great name. Proverbs portrays a wise worker in these seven ways. Number one, he works to please the Lord. Number two, he works with maximum effort, with diligence. Number three, has a plan. He works with foresight, planning it for the future. Number four, he works with honesty, He does all his endeavors with the truth. Number five, he's generous. He takes what the Lord has given him, the produce of his good work, and he shares it generously with others. Number six, his speech is gracious. It brings kindness to his workplace. It encourages, it uplifts others. And then number seven, it is uh, what a man is to exhibit, whether he's successful in this workplace or not. It's his humility. What a good picture for all of us to take home with us as we go through this season that Lord, that we understand we're not, we're to be ambassadors for the Lord and that's to be reflected in our workplace so let's pray Father we do pray that you help us Lord we pray that you help us know how to be your ambassador in the part of our lives that for most of us for many of us takes up the vast majority of our day that this is not a time that uh, we're not to be thoughtful of our relationship with you but Lord it's a time when it should be on display Father, we know we gain opportunities to share the gospel with those at work, but that has no credibility if our, if our work doesn't exhibit the qualities of the wise worker. Lord, help us. Help us to exhibit that. Help us to exhibit humility, honesty, generosity, gracious speech. Lord, help us to submit our plans to you for guidance and lord may it be clear from the way that we work lord that we have committed our work to you for your glory for your honor lord we pray these things in christ's name amen